Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Thank you all for being here. Watch out for that cord, Greg. Get that out the way. How are we doing? Oh, that sounds so good. I guess we're doing okay. Well, I'm glad y'all uh, decided to uh, join us for church today because we're going to be talking about the importance of the local church. Uh, we're going to be answering kind of three questions, the who, what, and why for the local church. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't, there'll be one right in front of you. So go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. Um, we're going to do a little a diving before we get there, but that is where we're going to hang out uh, for a little while. So Acts chapter 2. Um, over the over the past year, um, we can uh, we can all know that life's been a little different. Life's been uh, a little different for gatherings. You know, you couldn't go to your favorite restaurant for a little while. Um, only a few people could go in the grocery store at a time. And then in-person church services uh, were not a thing, right? Uh, we were staying at home and watching it on TV. Uh, and, and so on Sunday mornings, families would gather around the TV. Uh, they'd grab their cup of coffee, have, be in their PJs and watching church like it was their favorite TV show. It wasn't a bad deal when you woke up late on Sunday. You didn't look at your alarm, your alarm clock, your phone, and say, oh crap, I gotta, I gotta get ready and rush to church. No, you could just roll over in bed, get your phone, lay there, and watch church. You could go downstairs, watch church with your family. You didn't have to worry about getting to the church building. You didn't have to worry about picking out your out- outfit. didn't have to get your hair all right. You could just log on and watch church. I checked with Laura, uh, I think it was Friday, I checked with her, hey, when did uh, Glasgow Baptist shut down uh, for in-person services? So uh, sometime in March, uh, shut down for in-person services here, and then Erdie on Sunday mornings was here, and he was preaching to this empty room, and I remember uh, he had posted a photo where he had posted pictures of people's faces on the pew, so he wasn't alone in here, because I, I, can, I can imagine that preaching here alone, just looking at the cameras, uh, was a little different. So over the past couple months, um, from when, when uh, churches were shut down for in-person services, uh, I think we got a little used to virtual church. Over, over those months, um, we, we had gotten accustomed just to be in our PJs and watching church. And then when summer finally came around this past year, uh, we were able to gather back together in the church building. And now we're almost a full year from when uh, this whole COVID thing uh, happened, and now we're still using virtual church. I don't, I don't want you to think that I am against uh, providing virtual church, providing these, these Zooms, these live streams, or Facebook lives. I think these, these tools and technologies are used for the advancement of the kingdom. I think they're good, but in no way, shape, or form should substituting virtual church become a priority over the local church. I'm glad we're on the same page. That's awesome. And so I, I love technology. I think it's really cool, all the cool stuff. Uh, iPhones are super cool. I have an iPad up here. Got an Apple Watch. I need to get sponsored by Apple or something. And I think all these are great, and all these uh, can build your relationship with Christ, but we cannot let the idea of staying home take precedent over coming to church. 
And so even, even right now, we're getting a little work done upstairs in the, in the student area. Uh, our students are meeting on Wednesday nights on Zoom. So that's great. Uh, just because we don't have a place to meet doesn't mean we can't meet. So we're using Zoom, and that's awesome, but it's not going to stay like that forever. These tools, these virtual tools, are awesome for the church, but they not, must not replace the virtual church. Live stream, Zoom, Facebook, even, even cable. We put our stuff on cable. All these tools are great and amazing, and if everything is trending where we want it to, here soon we won't have to rely on virtual church. We can get back to gathering. Matt Merker um, worked for, nine, for a ministry of called Nine Marks. They write a whole lot of books. Um, check them out. They're really good. He had this to say about gathering for church. He said, gathering for church is not merely a nice thing to do. It's a part of what the church is. So like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about the who, what, and why of the local church. And the, and the first thing we have to realize is who is the church, right? So when I, whenever I was getting ready for this, I had it titled, What is the Church? But I realized that the church is not a what. The church is a who. If you want to see what the church is, take a second, look around the room. Those eyeballs looking back at you, that's the church. This building is not the church. This is a church building. This, is a, this building here is a vessel to where the church can come to worship God. So if logging on to Facebook or YouTube or flipping on the TV is not the church, then what is? A guy named Wayne Grudem, really smart guy, uh, biblical theologian, he had this to define the church. He said, the church is a community of true believers for all time. He didn't say, yeah, it's that uh, big white building downtown. He didn't say it's that place right across the street that has uh, a sign that says, hey, we're a church. He said, no, it's a gathering of believers building a community for all time. And so the building is where the church gathers. The church gathers here in the act of obedience of corporate worship. This is where true believers come to worship the true one God. That is the point of the church gathering is to worship our risen Savior. And so it, now we, if we know what the church is, and now we're going to look at what the church does, kind of the purpose of the church, and why the church gathers. So it, you ever think about uh, when, when, the, when the phrase comes out of your mouth, hey, I'm going to church. So now that we know that we're not really going to church, we're the church, what does that phrase even mean? We're going to church. When we say we're going to church, we're usually saying, hey, we're going to the church building. I don't... This is my belief that the church building doesn't become the church unless the church is here. Does that make any sense? Okay, good. Because that sounded a lot better in my head than it came out. I was like, I don't know if that made sense. But good. So that usually means we're coming to the church building, and the church building does not become the church until the body of Christ is here. It's just a vessel. The church building is just a vessel for God's church. And technology is a gift. It's incre incredibly beneficial um, but in no way, shape, or form needs to replace the gathering of God's people. Um, kind of the theme verse for today is Matthew 8.20. It says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That is Jesus speaking that when we're gathered together, he is here with us. And so when Greg was saying, what would you do if Jesus was standing right next to you? He might not physically be embodied standing right next to you, church. But I can, I can stand here to tell you that when we're gathered here today, Jesus Christ is among us. Amen. Amen. So that kind of answered who is the church. We know that we're the church. 
And now, number two, what's the purpose of the church? Do we just come and uh, hang out for a little bit? Or the Christian, Christian phrase of hanging out, we're here to fellowship together. There's a lot of different things, a lot of different purposes of the church. We know it's not a place. We know it's not a what. The church is a who. So what is our purpose? Wayne Grudem, he gave us a definition of who the church is. Now he's going to provide us three key purposes of the church. Um, if you want to check out the book where I got these three purposes, it's called Bible Doctrine. It's about that thick. It's really, really cool. It's a great book. Um, there, so the key three purposes of the church, number one is our ministry to God through worship. That's right off the bat. If you didn't know, that's a key purpose of the church, that we are to worship God. And if that's new to you today and you're here, I have a whole lot more I'd love to share with you afterwards. So please stay after church if that was a new thing for you. We are here to worship together through prayer, through song, through scripture, through giving, through Lord's Supper. We're here to gather on Sunday mornings, and oftentimes people might want to hear this type of music. They might want to hear this type of message. Oh, I didn't like what they did there. I don't like that slide. That song was okay. I don't want to uh, offend anybody, but your personal preference does not matter on Sunday mornings. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about one thing. We're coming together and worshiping the true risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who took that cross for you and me. It's about him, and it's not about us. We must make much of him while making little of ourselves. Just like John the Baptist, people thought he was the coming Messiah. People thought he was the Christ. Right off the bat, he said, that's not me. I'm just here to bear witness about the light that's going to come into the world. After he's already given all the credit to Jesus, people are like, John the Baptist, what are you going to do now? The true Christ is here. What are you going to do? He's baptizing people. That was kind of your game. You're the Baptist. And what does John say? He said, I'm going to make much of him while making little of me. Church, we must, we must follow in the footsteps of John. We have to put our ideas, we have to put our personal preferences. We can't get so worked up of what we want. Yes, it's important to find a church where you feel like you can worship, feel like everything's happening and it's good. Right. Sunday morning is not about you. When we're, when we're gathering together for corporate worship, the sole purpose of the gathering is to worship God. That is why we are here. I can guarantee you, if you've been coming to Glasgow Baptist for, for a number of years or any other church, you can walk in, you can sit down, you can see the service already playing out in your mind. He gets up here and says this. We'll sing this song. They'll do some announcements here. We'll give our offering. We might do Lord's Supper depending on when it is during the year. A guy will get up and speak for a little bit and then we'll go. We feel like we already know what's happening in the church. We already know what's happening in the service. And we're missing the point. Here we come. We meet at 1030. That's when we start. We'll sing a few songs. We'll pray. We'll read scripture. Someone, someone will hear present the word, and then we'll go into the world for another week. If you think that Sunday mornings is just a time where we can come and, oh, we did that, we checked that off, oh, we sang this song, good, we're almost there, he's preaching, he's almost done. 
Sunday mornings is not a checklist. Sunday morning is not a time to think you know what is going on. Sunday morning is a time for us to come into this church building, right? Because we're, this is not the church, we're the church. Come into the church building, fall on our face, and plea with God. Worship is not about our preference. It's not about what we want to see. It's about us falling face down on the floor, begging God for the grace we don't deserve, but yet he gives so willingly. That is our ministry to God, and that is our purpose, to worship God, worship him and him only. So we know the ministry to God is through worship. Now what's another key purpose? Ministry to believers. We have to nurture our believers. So scripture teaches us that the church is supposed to nurture its new believers. That's why we have nursery. That's why we have kids. That's why we have students. That's why we have Bible study classes on Sunday mornings. That's not just a time where you get to fellowship and, and, and read scripture. That's great. But it's a time that we are being built up in the word of God. We can't just bring people to know Christ, give them a Bible, say, hey, this is the word of God. Here you go. See you later. How well, how well that's going to, how, how's that going to happen? That's like thinking, hey, I'm going to do a triathlon or an Ironman or a marathon and sit on the couch for 10 months and not do anything. How's that, how, is that going to work out? No. no. Not one bit. If we're not, if we're not built in this word, if we're not discipling in the church, then when we bring new believers in here, they're going to go out into the world. They're going to face their first trial. They're going to face their first storm because it's going to happen. We're going to be persecuted and they're not going to have no roots. Going to have no roots. We must be rooted in the gospel message. Think of the story of uh, the parable of the sower of seed. I'm going to get a drink real quick. Of the parable of the sower of the seed, right? You're throw, throwing seed out. If you want that seed to grow, is it going to grow on the road? No. Is it going to grow on the rocky surface? No. Is it going to grow in the thorns? No. It must hit fertile soil. If you throw that seed and it hits the road, it's going to be trampled and eaten by birds. If you throw that seed on the rocky surface, it might produce growth at first, but it has no soil. It has no place to put roots. So when that first storm comes, it gets blown away. And then thirdly, the, the area that is thorny. You put that seed in the, in the soil that has thorns, it's going to get choked out. If you, if you put that seed in that soil, the thorns kind of representing, representing sin and all these things in our, in our lives, if we put that seed in that thorny area, it's going to get choked out and there's not going to be any growth. The seed must hit fertile soil. We must have a, 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 a principle of discipleship. We, that must make a priority for our, for our church building here. And the church here is that we must raise up disciples. When persecution comes, when trials come, we must be rooted in the heart of the gospel message to be able to withstand the storm. And so when we're in that storm, when the storm happens, it's going to come. But when you're rooted in the gospel message, just like uh, in Matthew 18, verse 20, when we're in that storm, guess who's standing there with us? Jesus. This is our ministry to believers, is to nurture them, to raise them up into disciples, to raise them up in the blood of Christ. So we know the ministry to God through worship, the ministry to believers through nurturing them. And what about the world? What's our ministry to the world? Evangelism and mercy. 
In Scripture here, we're given a great commission, right? We're given, we're given a task. We're given a command. It's not a, hey, if you have time, maybe do this. If you have a free time on, on Wednesday for an hour or Sunday morning for an hour, maybe do this. No. Great commission to go into the world and make disciples. That's, that is our command. The gospel message is not a collectible. The gospel message is not a classic car. It's not an antique. It's not something you could put in your 401k, 401b, uh, Roth IRA, or those, those are some terms, Greg. Um, it's not something you can hold on to. It's not something that you can hold on to in hopes that it gains more value. The gospel message is just as viable yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It's not something that we're supposed to hold on to and not let anyone have it. It's supposed to share. What, what, what good is it holding on to something that valuable if you're not going to share it? The gospel message, this made me laugh. Uh, the gospel message is kind of like a, a girl who just got engaged. What is she always doing? Hey, check it out. I got a ring. That might be a terrible example, but it made me laugh, so I did it. She always, she wants to show it off, right? She said, hey, look what I got. Man, that made me laugh. I'm sorry. Um, so that's our ministry to the world is evangelism and mercy. Mercy. The gospel message is not just a gospel message for those uh, that, that can hear it and hold on to it. It's a gospel message for the entirety of the world. That is our ministry to the world. We're called to go and make disciples. This is our command, and this is not a request. Keeping those keys, uh, those key purposes of the church in line are important. And so we have ministry to God, ministry to believers, and ministry to the world. All those are equal. Not one can outweigh the other. Very, very effective churches have great ministries in this area. Through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, if we can keep those balances, keep those key purpose and balances, we, we can really change our city. We must worship the one and only true God. We must nurture the believer, and we must evangelize and show mercy to the world. And that is the purpose of the church. So we found out who the church is. We're the church. Uh, we, we talked about what's the purpose of the church to ministry to God through worship, ministry to believers in nurturing, and then ministry to the world in evangelism and mercy. So now we know the purpose of the church. So we know who we are. We know what we got to do. Now, number three is, why must we gather? So I'm going to read off a few Old Testament passages of the importance of gathering when God gathers his people together. And uh, Deuteronomy 9.10, this is looking back into uh, Exodus when Moses was um, getting the commandments from the Lord. It says, And the Lord gave me the two tablets of the stones written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words that the Lord had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of assembly. Everyone is gathered in the, the day of assembly. Judges 20 verse 2, And the chiefs of all people of all tribes of Israel presented themselves in assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. So the chiefs of all people here, um, all tribes were represented, and they presented themselves in assembly before God. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 14, Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel, 
while all the assembly of Israel stood. So King Solomon here is presenting the temple, right? Uh, Israel was assembled. All of God's people were together. The ark, and the ark of the covenant was coming here into the temple to be uh, God's dwelling place. And so uh, a little bit of free um, knowledge, hopefully um, I'm, I'm certain I'm right. So God's had a certain different uh, dwelling places in the Old Testament. So Garden of Eden, God dwelled in perfection. Bad stuff happened there. Uh, got kicked out of the garden. God is now dwelling in the tabernacle with Israel. And then God is dwelling in the temple here in the holies of holies. And then when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he becomes the true temple of God. And God is, God is dwelling in Jesus Christ. First Chronicles 28 verse 8 says, Now therefore in the sight of all Israel, the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, observe and seek out all the commandments of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and leave it for your inheritance to your children after you forever. So the assembly of God is gathered again together. David here is charging Israel. Israel was assembled in front of God. Israel is called the assembly of the Lord and called to seek out the commandments of the Lord. All right, those are just a few examples of God's people gathering together in the Old Testament. So now uh, we're in Acts 2. Uh, we're going to be kind of kind of jumping around Acts 2 in a few verses there. And so in Acts 2, this is, this is um, the next couple chapters of Acts here are really, really cool. And so we'll see just the power of the Holy Spirit in dwelling in the disciples about to be the apostles. And so in Acts 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Really, really cool what's about to happen. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll go ahead and read that if you want to follow along. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came, a, uh, came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And this is a sound that the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak his own language. You're probably sitting there thinking, oh, we're about to start talking about tongues here? No, we're not talking about speaking in tongues. Um, if you don't know, uh, speaking in tongues, they're just speaking in the different languages that people around Jerusalem, Jerusalem would have uh, be speaking because the Holy Spirit, God, did not want them to not be able to share the gospel. So the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in the apostles and gave them uh, the spiritual gift of being able to speak clearly in every language. And so uh, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and now uh, they're about to go do some work. This is, the, this is the birth of the church. This is the boom of the church here. Um, uh, Peter... If you, if you flip over, um, well, I have to flip over. I don't know if you do. Uh, but Peter's sermon at Pentecost from verses 14 all the way to 41, Peter is laying it down. He is going all Billy Graham on anyone that is going to be in this area, right? And so we, uh, in, those, in the first verse of chapter 2, uh, you see it's the day of Pentecost. What's Pentecost. Funny you should ask. Pentecost is just another uh, kind of festival they're having. Uh, Jew, the Jewish people, they have a lot of festivals. They have a lot of feasts. Um, sounds pretty fun. But uh, Pastor Matt Chandler from the Village Church, he, he called uh, Pentecost kind of like Mardi Gras. Kind of like a nice party where everyone's kind of hanging out, having fun. And basically the last place that you would think to hear about the gospel. And so Peter, Peter's a bold guy. Uh, I think it's real funny because Peter becomes this bold guy, right? 
What happened just a few pages back? Isn't Peter the guy who denied Christ? He was scared. They went and, they went and, they went and uh, hid away, right? Yet when the, when, they, when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter turns into uh, the Terminator and says, nothing's going to stop me, I'm going. Verses 14 to 41, Peter is lighting it up. He's telling everyone here the good news. He's telling them the, the, the story of Jesus Christ. He's telling them they have the promise of eternal life. What happens next? A few people come to know the Lord, right? Just one or two? Five or six? No. Peter's first sermon, he's at this Jewish festival where no one's thinking they're going to hear the word of God. He's telling these people that they're sinners. He's telling them that they can be saved. And afterwards, 3,000 people are saved. That's pretty good for his first sermon, right? Uh, first sermon, 3,000 people, and the church is booming. And that, it's not because Peter, I'm sure Peter was, really, was a very gifted speaker and preacher, but the Holy Spirit really showed up there. And uh, we see in verse 41, Acts 2, verse 41, So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So it says about. Could be more, Right? They were gathering together. All these people were here for the festival. They were gathered together. Holy Spirit indwelled in Peter. God led him to this festival and said, look, look, look at all these people. What would happen if you just go out there and preach? I'll show you what happens. Peter goes out there, preaches. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Boom, 3,000 souls. They were given the promises of God. Uh, they were given the, the, the true spoken word of God that with the work of the Holy Spirit, through the sacrifice of the risen Savior, these people were saved from their sins and given the promise of everlasting life. Man, that's cool. And then look over at verses 42 to 47. If you have a little heading in your Bible, mine says the fellowship of believers. Um, some of what I'm about to say is from a guy named Tim Mackey. And Tim Mackey is one of the creators of the Bible Project. If you ever heard of them, they're awesome. If you want to get, get them on YouTube, uh, hey, another tool to grow spiritually. Get them on YouTube. They'll give these little overviews of Scripture. It's awesome. And so what I'm about to say, uh, shout out Tim. Uh, he helped me with this. Um, I'll go ahead and read verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they being the people that have just heard, uh, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to breaking bread and the prayers. And an awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, were being done around the apostles. Or I'm sorry, around, I can't read. Being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and, and all things in common. And they were selling their possessions. And belongings and distributing them, or distrib nice, distributing the proceeds to all that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. So they're still growing. Through the power of God, they're still growing. The life of the church is a new beginning. Right? So whenever you come to be a part of the church, it's a new beginning for you. You're a new creation. When we're baptized, uh, we're, we're buried in death. All our, all our old sins, all our old uh, nastiness, and we're raised into new life. 
When, we're coming, when, when these people are coming into the church, they're becoming a new creation. When, when we become believers of Christ, we have to get rid of all, all, the, all the stuff that's been at the center of our lives, all the sinful stuff, and make room. They're gathering together, and they saw the importance of being together as much as possible. They were breaking bread together. They are praying together. And this is why it's so important for the body of Christ to fellowship, right? Fellowship is the Christian word for hanging out, right? So they're hanging out. The, uh, uh, fellow, I think it's so funny that we say, like, fellowship instead of hanging out. Like, what do you say? We usually only say for fellowshipping, it's, like, from people from the church. Like, oh, hey, I'm going over to Bill's house. We're just hanging out. Maybe Bill's not a believer, but if you're going over to Greg's house, we're going to Greg's house and we're going to fellowship. I think it's so funny. Uh, but, we, you know, so we come together, we fellowship, uh, we, we look out for our family, we're church family. Uh, when we're together, we're church family. Uh, we look out for our family, we make sure we're being taken care of, taking care of each other, helping those who are struggling. The early church in Acts is a group of believers that had come together, pulled everything together, and grew together. They were united as one and connected, connected together through the one Jesus Christ. Being a part of the church body is a commitment. It takes 100% commitment, and we must grow together, and we must be willing to be here and serve together. When we're, when we're growing together, it's important that we have our own faith, right? When we're growing together, you can't have somebody else's faith. It has to be your faith. I know I'm not married, nor do I have kids, so here's my one parenting advice. I'm probably wrong, but it's okay. You have to have your faith, your own, you have to have your own faith, right? So kids cannot have their parents' faith. If you want your, ch- your child or children to have Christ at the center of your lives, you better have Christ at the center of yours. If you want them to grow up in the church, be a part of the church body, you better be a part of the body too. Better, by, better be leading by example. If you want Christ to be at the center of lives, make Christ the center of yours. If you want Christ at the top of their priority list, he better be number one on yours too. The gospel message creates community between those who have heard the good news of Jesus and their lives are transformed. So we have some biblical foundations of why uh, people gather, why it's important for us to gather, why we're to gather together to glorify God. But we got some stuff we got to do when we gather. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So when we come together, admonishing one another, lift each other up. We're going to sing songs, we're going to sing praises. Hebrews uh, chapter 10, 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is a habit for some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So when we come together, we're to lift each other up. We're to show love in our fellowship, not neglecting to meet together because some will do that. But when we're gathering together, we're rejoicing and looking to the day that's drawing near. That day is meaning the day that Jesus Christ returns. And he's coming. 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34. I'm not going to read all that. This is where Paul is teaching the church of Corinth the importance of the Lord's Supper. How you're supposed to take it. What's the meaning behind it? When we come together, we partake 
in that Passover meal together. And then Matthew 18, uh, verse 20, the theme of today, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. In these verses, in that last verse particularly, Jesus affirms that when we, his church, are together, he is here with us. The gathering of the local church is much more than just coming to the church building and fellowshipping. That's a part of it. If you're here and, you're in, in you, and you've uh, trusted in Christ and, uh, and, and he's, he's taken your sins away, think of the time where you came to know him. Think of the time where you uh, were baptized and the importance of coming to the church building was. Think about that fire that you felt. Think about how it was a priority in your life. Hopefully it still is. I remember when um, I, I, got, I got baptized when I, were, when I was nine, met the Lord there. Thankfully, he saved me as a child. Uh, whenever I was getting baptized, we still had these like robes or whatever, and it looked like a karate gi. Um, a karate gi is what the karate people wear. And so I'm, I'm bouncing off the walls. I'm jacked up at my church. My mom's taking pictures like, some, like I just did something cool. I didn't, do, I didn't do anything. I said, yes, I'll accept it. She's taking pictures and I'm goofing off and I'm, I'm doing karate poses and there's still some of them. And I was just so excited to be able to stand in front of my church and say, I am a believer. But life happens, right? Priorities get out of whack. We start putting things before Christ. We stay up late on Saturdays. We'll go out on Saturday. But now we have the excuse of saying, oh, I can just watch church later. I can just log on later and watch church. We'll make sure we'll do everything throughout the week. We'll go where we need to go. But we'll stay away on Sunday mornings and say we can watch church later. But life happens, right? Priorities can get out of line really, really quickly, and we become blind to what our lives are becoming. I'm not, I'm not saying, standing up here, I know life's different right now. We've had a little bit of snow. Don't forget COVID, that's still real. We gotta be careful. We have to watch over that. But we have to have our priorities in line. The technology that we have today, and, and thankfully we're able to live stream, it's, it's a blessing but we cannot rely on this virtual reality of church. This virtual reality of church is far different than being able to be here with the body of Christ. In closing, I just want to leave you a few things. Um, I am a firm believer that God meets you where you are. He meets you where you are physically. We don't have to go anywhere to meet God. We don't have to come to this church building to meet God. He can meet you when you're pumping gas meet you on a car ride, meet you at a Chick-fil-A. He'll probably meet you at a Chick-fil-A because <laughs> that's God's chicken and that might be a temple, I don't know. But he'll definitely meet you at Chick-fil-A. God meets us where we are physically. Not only does he meet us where we are physically, he meets us where we are spiritually. You don't have to have a certain knowledge of the scripture for God to reveal himself to you. The church building is where the people who have met God come together to come meet each other, to fellowship, to grow in likeness of Christ. Gathering with believers is a blessing for us all. 
While we're awaiting for the return of Christ, he is coming back. we got a lot to do. We must worship God, we must wor- uh, nurture the saints, and we must evangelize the world. To be effective for the Lord, you have to be all in. You can't have one foot in, one foot out. You can't say, all right, God, I believe about 75%. Oh, I'm 50-50. Say you, you, go, you go over to Little Taste of Texas. I love that place. And, and you get what I get. I get that little ribeye sandwich. And you bite into it, and it's kind of cold or kind of hot. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's kind of, that's weird. What are you going to do with it? If you're like me, I'm going to spit it out. I want my meal hot. Same way with your, with your faith. It can't be lukewarm. Being lukewarm is dangerous. Revelation 3, 15, verse 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus here is not talking about a ribeye sandwich. He's talking about your faith. If you are lukewarm with your faith, he will spit you out. That's playing games with God. Being lukewarm is playing games. Newsflash, if you're playing games with God, I know who's going to lose, and it's not him. God doesn't lose. Do not play games with God. Do not be lukewarm. Being able to gather with your church family is a gift, and we must not take gathering for granted. Being able to gather in person is a blessing and a time that we can worship the risen Savior. If you're here today and you, and you say, I might, be, might have been, been playing the game for a while. I might be lukewarm. Today's a perfect day for you to meet God. Because we know that we're two or more gathered in his name. He is here among us. Jesus Christ is among us today. If you're here today and you want to say, or if you want to meet that God, um, I'll be right out these doors. Mike is going to be out there with me too. Um, we'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you here to be a part of our body of Christ. Don't be lukewarm with God. Don't be lukewarm with God. Let's pray.